and welcome to the So Resi Home Truths podcast. So Resi is the customer-facing brand of So Resi Partnerships, the shared ownership specialists. We work in partnership with a wide range of organizations, from private investment funds to local authorities, to help make home ownership possible for more people. I'm Violet, your host for today's episode. I'm super excited for today's conversation because I'm joined by two fabulous guests, John and Kevin. Please introduce yourselves. I'm John from Metro Finance. We're shared ownership mortgage brokers and work very closely with So Resi. Hi, John. Nice to see you. I feel like you're family friend of So Resi's. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Almost, yeah. <laughs> Great. Nice to see you, Kevin. We certainly feel the same way. Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kevin Sims. I'm the group head of sales for So Resi. So work alongside Violet and very closely with John and his team at Metro. Oh, fantastic. I'm super excited for our conversation. So um, as you know, it's been a truly unpredictable 2022. And John and Kevin will be reflecting on the role that shared ownership has played during a very challenging market condition um, in the housing market as well as the, the cost of uh, living crisis. And there is some data that came out in the summer, which revealed that the average first-time buyer will need a, a whopping additional £12,000 of income to buy a home compared to a year ago, and an additional £35,000 if you're in London. So there's definitely a lot for Kevin and John to unpack, um, talking particularly around first-time buyer market. They'll also be talking around predictions for 2023 and what the future holds for first-time buyers and shared ownership specifically. So let's get into it. As I said, there's been a few hot topics this year, the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis, rising mortgage interests. I'm really keen to get your views on how you feel the first-time buyers have been affected by all of this. John, let's start with you and then over to Kevin. It's, it has. It's been an incredibly tricky year for first-time buyers. I think more so in the open market because it's you've got the cost of living crisis, which affects all the lenders' affordability. You've had interest rate hikes, and that makes it incredibly hard to, to, to borrow the amounts they need. Income shared ownership, which is designed to make things affordable. And interestingly, the average share in shared ownership is 43% across the, across the nation. And that's maintained at that throughout 2022, just demonstrating in how, how much more affordable shared ownership is compared to the open market. Thanks, John. Kev, what are your, what are your thoughts? I know you've got a few. Well, what a year. I mean, good grief. Nobody quite anticipated the year that we uh, endured for many a topic. However, the consistency of people buying and expressing their interest as first-time buyers has actually remained steady, as John alluded to. But more importantly, we've captured a little bit more with the removal of help to buy from the private sector. It's very fascinating when you look at the data that over the last few months since that's been withdrawn, the average income of the people who are interested in shared ownership as the access point in the market has increased by about 18 odd thousand pounds. It's quite incredible to see the top end coming through from that help to buy hole that's been created. So not only have we kept the sustainability in shared ownership, which John talked about with that demand and the shares they buy, but we've actually got this additional demand that can't be survived and put in place by the uh, open market. So it's been really encouraging. First time buyers have remained the bedrock of shared ownership and will continue almost certainly into next year, Violet. John, go ahead. Since January at Metro, so we do about 2,400 shared ownership assessments every month. And since January, we've seen the average income increase by 22% to date. And that volume of assessments has actually increased in November, where you perhaps start to see it tail off 
coming up to Christmas, but it hasn't. That demand has just stayed stronger. Wow. So it sounds like it hasn't all been doom and gloom for this year, which is really, really uh, positive, I think, for the future. I'm really glad you raised the point around help to buy, which obviously, as we all know, it's coming to an end. If I'm correct, it's March 2023. So what does that, let's talk a little bit more about what that means for shared ownership going forward. Um, and I'm also particularly interested in hearing around some of the issues, I guess, that's perhaps still need to be addressed around shared ownership. What does that look like? What would you like to see change in order for it to be an, an, an even more attractive proposition for first time buyers? Kevin, let's start with you. I think the fascinating bit with Help to Buy it was a 12 to 15 year vanity product. And it was a drug that the developers lent on to access that first time buyer market. And when you come off any sort of drug, there has to be a substitute. And the brilliant news for us is shared ownership has not only been that bedrock for society for many years, it's become that part substitute for Help to Buy. The really exciting bit, however, for me is the London market really opens the door in greater volume, even than outside London, for shared ownership to be the access point into home ownership. We sell on behalf of not only ourselves, but we also sell on behalf of many a corporate client, full profit RPs and local authorities. And every single London borough is seeing an increased demand for shared ownership simply because help to buy has been removed. Outside of London, there's still a massive void that's been created. It's not as steep as the one in London, but without a shadow of a doubt, that help to buy is fueling demand in shared ownership. And despite the challenges in the lending market that John talked to a few moments ago, we're seeing that general overall lending in the shared ownership market is remaining consistent and increasing. So it's really positive stuff. I'll probably give it over to John to put some more layers on that cake, Violet, if I might. Please. Yeah, I echo all of that. And my biggest wish for 2023 would be either to build more shared ownership homes because we're going to need it with the demise of help to buy and the massive demand we already have. We need more homes or more partnerships with the likes of Soul Resi and, and, the, and the builders out there. Um, we already see, um, you, so we had 28 lenders all throughout 2022. We already see new lenders entering. Even last month, this month, Newcastle Building Society en entered. We're talking to a couple of others who will probably enter quarter one of next year. So there's an awful lot of lenders and they're expecting an awful lot of delivery as well. To do that, we need to build more or we need to do some deals with the builders to generate more shared ownership home. And like Kevin says, London is the, the, the pinpoint for it, that the higher the value of the home, the more shared ownership is needed to make it affordable. But it also works in the north as well. We do bucket loads of shared ownership in the northwest all the way up into the northeast. Yeah, that's interesting. I um, I mean, obviously, I'm a marketeer, so I'm always interested in kind of what we're doing as a sector around the whole shared ownership piece. Do you think, in both your opinions, that we're doing enough to address, I guess, the uh, raising awareness of what shared ownership is is even more? Uh, and also just, I guess, educating potential first-time buyers um, and just providing a greater transparency about what's involved and what that's, you know, what 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 people have to expect when they buy a shared ownership home. So I'd love to know your thoughts around just, I guess, the, the, the sort of marketing and PR around shared ownership. What does that look like for you? Is it good enough or can we do more? And what can we be doing better? I think um, there's probably two or three layers to the answer for that question, Violet. And where we look at it really is, do the buyers know what they're entering into contractually 
when they purchase. And I think we've been remiss as a sector for many a year where we haven't educated them as we should have done in times gone by. There was a lot of information, but it didn't always land and we didn't make it so that it could be consumed the right way for as society changes. What's happened now, particularly at So Resi, which you're spearheading, is the change in corporate videos the way we present that to our buyers, the information we give them and when, and we do this on behalf of other clients as well as ourselves, is absolutely crucial. And their understanding has been underpinned by something that John can explain in more depth than I can, which is the change of lease arrangements that have come in this year from Homes England that we've been campaigning and championing for years to get actually into the market and to get something we can work with. Some of those changes have evolved through this year and a lot of developers, us including, will be landing those with new product next year. But we've got four schemes already that are on the new lease and that really helps the buyer, gives them a lot more peace of mind. And some of those key points, no doubt John will touch on shortly. But really speaking, that lease combined with the education we're doing is taking us forward, but there's still further to go, Violet, and it's a non-stop piece of work that needs to always, always improve. Yeah, we do like to uh, lead the way at SoResi. So I'm very, very excited that we're leading the charge, actually, more so than perhaps other other providers who are still, still catching up in, in, in some ways. Obviously not biased in that opinion whatsoever. Of course not, <laughs> Obviously not. Uh, John, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, yes, so the, the lease points that Kev mentions are the, the three main ones are the lease is nearly now a thousand years almost. Uh, you can buy in 1% increments staircasing and the initial stair- shares start from 10% as opposed to 25%. Interestingly, on the point of uh, marketing, educating, Homes England, the regulator of shared ownership, are about to launch a, a centralised government website which, which helps educate people about shared ownership. But playing devil's advocate, I always have the viewpoint that people buy the home, not the product. It's a bit like when you buy a new car, you go to the garage and you talk to the salesperson about the different types of finance, but it's the car you want, not the finance package. So the marketing for me is all about the properties and how affordable it is. And then the education point about shared ownership is when that customer is sitting down in a nice, simple way, making clear all the points of what shared ownership does and can do. Yeah, no, I agree. It's so important. And, and, and just to add, uh, like again, not showing off at all about what we're doing at SoResi, but one of the things that we've been really trying to to do is leverage uh, working with uh, sort of social media influencers and content creators who are experts in in either finance or just property itself. And I think that really helps us to speak to that target audience that are looking to buy homes uh, for the first time and particularly shared ownership where people still need education. You know, they spend a lot of the time on social media. So how can we sort of leverage that in a... Um, in a way that's going to be beneficial, not only for us at SoRezi, but really just all of us as a sector. So I'd love to see more of that going on, I think. Um, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a really, really good opportunity for, 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 for more of us to definitely capitalize on. So, so yeah, I'm watching this space and see what, how things are going to unfold over the next year. And I think it's going to be a, a very exciting year. Speaking of next year, so I'm really interested in hearing what your predictions will be. I was doing a little bit of research about a week ago, just in preparation for this podcast. Um, and I saw that, uh, I think it was Right move forecasted that the property prices will drop by an overall average of 2% next year. Uh, quote unquote. And they also think that some locations, property types and sectors will fare much better than others. So my question is, how do you think that affordable housing will fare against the private sector? Let's start with you, John. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a head scratcher, that one, isn't it? (laughs) I think that 
predominantly you've got the hiking interest rates. So interest rates in 2023, they're going to be closer to six than they are to three. So that is going to affect the private sector far more than it will shared ownership because the, the pounds out of your pocket are greater, if you like. So I think shared ownership will fare extremely well. Um, we already know that from the demand now. Property prices, I, it's, it's, it's guesswork, but we, certainly we're not going to see the growth in property prices that we've seen over the last few years, which can only be a good thing really for first-time buyers. It aids them onto the property market. So overall, I think shared ownership will outperform the open market for the first-time buyer purely because it makes the unaffordable affordable. And it was designed to do this in this economic climate with higher interest rates. Kevin, any thoughts? Yes, yeah, some thoughts, Violet, really mirror John's. Um, I think with house prices, you're going to see pockets of areas that weirdly are going to grow next year. That supply and demand cycle we've seen in any other recession that a lot of us that are my sort of age and John's sort of age, we've seen a few. And our experience shows that when the, there is a, su- a supply demand and it goes a little bit wonky, the truth is there are little pockets of areas that everybody still wants to go to. And you'll see those growth. Invariably, in my opinion, they will be outside of London in this particular period of, of change. That having been said, I think Right Move's assessment of a lower fall down in house prices far more accurate than some of the wild numbers that have been coming out in the press by commentators looking to speculate and do a bit of fear that goes into that. We're going to see a reduction and a levelling out, but I don't think we're going to see a plummet like some people are talking about. We can tell that because the swap rates, which John lives his life on, which is how you get your long-term fixed rates, have definitely been coming further down in latter period rather than going up, as the press had reported. So I think we're going to see plenty of affordability in the shared ownership space, house prices not coming down as much as they need to. But, and this is the most important thing, I still think that the house price where they sit in the open market right now is still very, very expensive if you haven't got a whopping great deposit. And with shared ownership, everybody forgets, unless you're in the sector, and we need to do a better job on educating, that's for sure, you only need 5 or 10%, whatever the lender requires from you, of the share you buy, not of the whole house price. And you add that together, it means your entrance point means you don't need to save a huge amount of money and it's still affordable to start your ownership journey. You can then, as your earnings go up and as the property market gets back to something like normal, you can see a lot of our shared owners staircasing up through and owning a bigger chunk of their home. But next year, I see lots of positive stuff there that will help shared ownership buyers and the demand will continue. That's my view. Fantastic. And I, um, I'm interested in your, in both your thoughts around, I guess, some of those areas outside of London specifically, in your opinion, give me your top three, for example, putting you on the spot that you think actually these would be some hot areas where we'll see more and more first time buyers purchasing homes, either for, um, from an affordability point of view, uh, quality of homes and, and all those sorts of things that, you know, first time buyers particularly look for. Because sometimes I feel like we often focus a lot on London because obviously London helps to, you know, does help to determine whatever else happens uh, outside of that in terms of the market. But yeah, give me your top three areas outside London that you think are the ones to watch. I think prediction-wise for 2023, I think we might see a rate war with mortgage lenders in the early part of 2023, which might 
pinch a little bit off those rates. And I think that because whilst demand for shared ownership is still massive, the open market is, is, has dropped a little bit and lenders will want to stimulate the market. And that's also a good thing for shared ownership because if rates drop on the open market, they'll drop on shared ownership. As for the question that you actually asked me, I think the locations we'll see hot are Manchester, Liverpool and York. I don't. I, I mirror one of those. I think Manchester is going to be a natural hotspot, and I think two areas around London to look out for because the affordability works as you come away, but you're still close to London. Would be Kent, which is my neck of the woods. So I think there's going to be quite a bit of demand for Kent, and I think you should watch out for that sort of M1 corridor heading up north. So going through your Hertfordshire's and your Bedfordshire's. If you think about Milton Keynes as a real growth area over the last ten years. You can get down into King's Cross in 40 minutes. So those sort of areas that are easily accessible, along with Manchester, for me, are the three to look out for. Yeah, brilliant. And that accessibility makes a huge difference, doesn't it? But yeah, I agree with you on Kent. I think that's definitely um, one I'm watching very, very closely. So I might be moving to next door to you, Kevin. Look forward to that. Come down to the post. Borrow some sugar. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so overall, are you feeling optimistic about 2023? John, you go first and then we'll finish with Kevin. Very, yeah. And partly driven by the fact that 2022's ended so positively um, and the conversations that we're having with large mortgage lenders about their plans for 2023. So absolutely, yeah, positive. I agree. I think uh, you haven't got uh, on your podcast today, Violet, two more positive individuals than John and I, when we're, especially when we're together. And I concur. I think next year's terribly exciting. And I think we'll look back this time next year and say it was nowhere near as bad as the media made it out to be. And I think it brings for a journey that's less erratic than this year. Thank the Lord above for that. That having been said, I think it will be in a level and upward direction slightly rather than down. That's my prediction. Fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. There were some, some great nuggets there that we talked about over the last 20 minutes. But, you know, as all good things must come to an end. Um, but before you go, you, obviously, this is our Christmas episode. So I can't let you go before I ask you something very Christmassy and very cheesy. So I've got three questions for you on the spot and you have to answer as quickly as possible. Now, can I just say, we had no idea this was coming, John. I, I know, that's, that's the whole point. <laughs> Makes it even more interesting, right? Okay, so Kevin first and then John. Okay. Favourite Christmas song? Oh, um, Last Christmas, probably, to be fair. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a wham 80s man, I'm afraid. <laughs> John? I can't remember the, the Live Aid one. Is it Feed the World? Is it not? It's not Feed the World. What is it? You're welcome to just, you're welcome to sing it for us so we can, you know. <laughs> it might spark the memory a bit better. <laughs> they know it's Christmas. I'll go, I'll go, yes, that's it. That's the one. Okay, next question. Uh, Kevin first and then John. Mince pies or cheese and crackers? Cheese and crackers. John? Neither, but I'll have to go cheese and crackers. <laughs> you have to choose one. You can't not choose one. <laughs> and then final question. We go with John, then Kevin. Turkey or roast chicken? Roast chicken, but that's my preferred one, but you have to eat turkey at Christmas. It's just too dry the way I cook it anyway. <laughs> it is dry. Turkey is always very dry. You need the sauce, don't you, or the gravy. Definitely, I agree. Kevin? Uh, turkey first, turkey second, 
<laughs> well, we know what you're having then for Christmas yeah, dinner. <laughs> oh, well, listen, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, that's it for our Christmas episode. And to our listeners, if this conversation today sparked some further thoughts for you and you'd like to get involved in the discussion, head on over to our Serizy Partnership LinkedIn profile, which we'll put in the comments. And you can share your comments with us there and just continue the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. We'll also be sharing it on Twitter, so keep an eye out for it. And whilst you're there, if you really enjoyed it, why not share this episode with someone else too? Because it really helps us to reach more people. So thanks for listening. Happy holidays. And thank you, Kevin. And thank you, John. Happy Christmas, everyone. Take care. Merry Christmas.